when adversity hits, it's like, okay, this, all this pressure just kind of caves in and, and, you know, freezing up the, the individual, just embrace it. The military has a saying, embrace the suck, just embrace it and just make sure that you're communicating out to your investors exactly what's going on. Even if it's bad news, that's the biggest thing I think I learned in that deal. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by RealBlueSpruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam A. Adams, and I'm excited to have Kyle Jones on the show today. What we're going to talk about is really how to source apartment deals. How do you go from where you are now to actually being able to have 900 units in the next three years. Well, Kyle's going to show you how to do that. And if you're already getting turned off from the show because you're thinking, well, I would like to get to 900 doors in the next three years, but unfortunately I have a full-time job. Well, let me tell you just a real quick thing uh, about Kyle Jones is that he actually has a full-time job with a large Fortune 100 technology company. And what he does, he has a sales role. He's responsible in that company for about $250 million of revenue for the company. Not only that, but he's also a co-founder of a company, an appraisal company. In Interestingly enough, that appraisal company has done a mil- did a million in, in gross sales within its first 18 months. And if you know anything about residential appraisals, that's a lot of business. So now, now that we're talking about somebody who has literally a full-time job and has another company that's really crushing it, how is he able to source these deals? So we're going to get into that with Kyle right now. We're going to learn a little bit more about how he's gotten to that 900 units over the last three years. How are you sourcing those deals? Kyle, what is it about your your um, bio that I've missed that might help us just talking about today's conversation around being able to multitask and still be able to source 900 doors? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Happy to be here for sure. Um, I think, you know, first and foremost, I am also a husband and a father to three amazing kids and a beautiful wife. So, um, you know, that's one of my driving forces to wanting to, to go down this path and creating some uh, long-term cash flow for me to eventually, you know, I don't want to work at that W2 job forever, but it's definitely my primary source of income right now. So, um, you know, and then it's, it's also for me specifically, I had just really learned how to leverage other resources um, so I always look to the fact that it's all about the leverage, not just that, but leveraging expertise, leveraging skills and partnering with people who have those skills and gaps that can really help, help you scale a business or manage a multifamily property or in my W2 job, you know, uh, somebody who has more technical expertise that can go talk to a customer and do a deep dive demo on a product, something like that. Interesting. Okay, so when it comes to flying out to meet with brokers so you can source these deals, it's difficult to leverage someone else to go out there. It doesn't seem like that's your focus, so, but you have been getting out to different markets where you're buying these different properties. I suppose you've closed on about eight or seven or eight different syndications to get to that 900 units in such a short time. And um, while having 
your spouse and your three children and this other business and of course your W-2, let's, um, let's just really find out what is it taking for you to be able to prioritize getting out to these different markets and meeting with different brokers and I really want to dive into that and just understand if you're if you're scheduling meetings before you fly out if you're trying to have them back to back if you're doing a breakfast lunch dinner breakfast lunch dinner um so just yeah just kind of help me understand what it looks like for somebody who has all these other things going on to be as successful as you've been over the last three years yeah no that's uh that's a, a lot to discuss so help me stay focused if I start rambling. <laughs> but um, I, I think first and foremost, you, you really have to have a clear strategy on how you're going to get there. Um, you know, it's so easy to uh, come in and set a goal, you know, especially at, at the beginning of a year, you're coming in with a new year's resolution and you want to lose weight or you want to buy in our case, maybe you want to purchase your first property or you have already bought a couple. You want to buy a thousand units. That's great. So, work backwards, reverse engineer that. How are you going to get there? Well, if you want to buy a thousand units over the course of the year, you know, you could break that out to be 250 a quarter. Okay. And then just keep working back, breaking it down. So if to get 250 units under contract per quarter, what is that going to take as far as deal sourcing meetings that you need to be having with brokers? You know, how many different properties and offers do you need to be targeting and things like that? you know, breaking it down by the week and then the day. And that's kind of how I structure um, my goal setting. And, you know, I don't um, have a necessarily have a New Year's resolution in it every year. I, I am constantly um, looking at my goals and tweaking things as I learn new things and as I uncover new ways to approach it. And the only way to do that is to track your activity. and you know, to track your activity, you have to have these certain metrics in place on um, what you want to do each week uh, down to each day so that you can see the progress that you made so that you can look up and say, okay, I've been doing this every day for the last, you know, four weeks. What kind of progress am I making? If, you know, and just make your tweaks from there. And so, you know, starting there is really how I think anybody who wants to start at that or anybody who's already, you know, got you know, over 3000 units, you know, continuing to have more clarity on what they want to do and what they want to continue to accomplish. And then from there, it's just taking the action. And so, you know, what that looked like for me was just literally getting out on the streets um, and, and meeting with brokers. There, there was no secret behind anything I did. I didn't use yellow letters. I don't have the time to talk to owners directly. Um, I can't build the systems yet. I could, but that just hasn't been my primary focus to build the systems to, to reach out to um, owners directly. So I leverage the broker relationships. That simple. How I stand out is because most people in today's world are comfortable from the comfort of their home or, or even frankly, they may not have the ability to fly out into territory as much as me. Um, so I really try to take advantage of that and, you know, there's a certain things that I do have on my side. Like I'm in, I'm in the middle part of the country. I'm in Houston. Um, I don't buy in Houston, but I, I am in Houston. And in Houston, we have a major airport. You know, United Airlines is, you know, I can pretty much fly direct anywhere in the world from Houston, um, even into some of these smaller markets where, um, 
you know, that are emerging markets, but they have small airports. So I try to take advantage of that. I don't have to connect. I can do day trips and having a family. That's kind of the other keys, making sure that I'm not, if I have to do an overnight trip, I will, but really just flying in, maximizing my time as much as I can and then getting out. So I, I do a lot of day trips. Um, you know, the other thing I have on my side is just, I do, I work from home with my W2 job and I, um, I do travel naturally with that. So I just try to take advantage of, you know, I leverage the points and everything that come from that. And I use them to help me build my business outside of it. And so, um, you know, it really comes down to being in front of brokers. Don't overcomplicate the process. Just go build a relationship with them. Just like you would anybody else, a new friend, somebody else that you, you've connected with over the, over the internet or Facebook, or you've met at a coffee shop or whatever, you know, the only way to do that is by spending time with them face to face. So, um, you know, it's just getting to know them and, and not always talking about business either, you know, just really trying to take an interest. And that's a lot of the same skills that I've used in my, my sales life in my W2 job is just, you're really building rapport. And it's not the cheesy used car salesman type of rapport that you're trying to go after. It's just really genuine, authentic, uh, just really trying to learn about the other person. Um, and then, you know, the, the competitive person inside of me, you know, once you find out what they do like, you're using that as, um, as a way to get in good and kind of influence the decision-making process when there is a deal out there that, that comes through. So at a high level, those are just some things to, yeah. to think about, but, um, you know, that's kind of how I've done it. So what I'm looking at is I've been trying to take some notes and I've got four steps and then I think we can break down these steps. From what you've said, it's most important, first off, to really have a clear strategy. And I suspect that that has a lot to do with understanding what markets you're going to be investing in, understanding you know, what size of deal you're looking at, what level of, of thick, uh, finishes that you're going to be utilizing. Is it A class, B class, C class? Am I doing a light value add? Am I doing a complete reposition or am I just buying it for cash flow? You just want to start by number one, just understanding that whole strategy first off. Then second, you want to reverse engineer your goals. So you basically are, are breaking apart. If I want to buy 250 units this year, um, what do I need to be doing? What do I need to accomplish this week? And to accomplish those things this week, what do I need to do right now today? Um, and then the third one that I have is really that you just got to be taking action. So once you have that strategy, you have the plan after reverse engineering, you really just got to do the work. And the last one is just is always keeping track of your numbers. Like I did this much effort today. I called this, this, this many brokers today. And this is what I've done this week and my results. Is that a pretty good summation of like the, the steps in order to really get successful in doing this, especially when you have a full-time job? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned several times that you, having 
broker relationships was important. Um, and you also even mentioned sometimes when you call them or you visit them, the brokers, that is, you're not specifically um, only talking business. You're not just asking, do you have a deal? It sounds like you're really building some rapport with them. So I want to ask first, like why for the listener who who has less familiarity with this asset class is in multifamily than you or I might have. Why would it be important for them to have these relationships with brokers? Why is that so important? Yeah, well, I could tell you what it's done for me. And what that's done is it's allowed me to um, receive essentially pocket listings or off-market properties. And so pocket listings is basically where you know, the broker has the listing, but hasn't released it to the masses yet or off market is truly what it is. It's an off market situation. And I've experienced this a lot where the broker comes to me and says, Hey, we've got a seller on the hook. He's obviously talking to a lot of other brokers, but we want to go in with an offer. Can we leverage you to make that offer? Are you interested in that property? Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. Um, so what that means is just really getting a first look at properties. I mean, I've even had one of the deals that I bought um, the first time that the seller was, or I'm sorry, it's the first time that the broker was visiting the seller. He asked me if I wanted to come with him on the trip and be a part of the broker meeting, you know, as a person who kind of came under undercover and worked with the broker. But he said, Hey, I think you've, you're going to like this property this is the first time I'm going to see it or meet, do you want to meet us out there and meet the seller and everything else? And uh, I just thought that that was really cool. And that was nothing, you know, I didn't ask for that. I just was hanging around uh, constantly being um, visible to the broker and, you know, he knew who I was. And by that point he already knew who my family was. He, you know, doesn't know all the names and everything else of my kids, but you know, he knows that I'm, um, I'm a person outside of just the multifamily space. Awesome. I love that. So I want to ask um, in the beginning, you know, before you had 900 doors, I'm sure today, Kyle, like you could call up any of these brokers and you have the credibility, you talk the talk, you know, you have the right language. You've been involved in the, the industry for three years. You've got all, you know, seven, eight different apartment communities that you own. Um, if let's just take back like three years ago, um, what was the hardest part of broker relationships, like building those broker relationships when you very first started out and how did you overcome those challenges? Yeah, good question. Um, so, I mean, it's a lot of already what I've been talking about. It's just flying out there. I mean, I did the whole, um, analysis of, okay, what are the top brokers in that specific market that I was targeting? Um, and they were big box brokers. I mean, it's the Cushman's, the Marcus Millichaps, those types of brokers. Um, and I just went in on their webs, webpage, looked at the locations, you know, just kind of figured out who supported that specific area that I needed to meet with. Scheduled meetings with them, just kind of framed it up. Hey, I'm coming in to uh, the market. I'm very interested in the market and would love to meet with you. Um, you know, so it's, and then, and then once you get from there, it's, you know, really just trying to uh, 
find out who they are and just build that rapport just through having some sort of knowledge. I mean, you, you can't just necessarily walk into a, a meeting blindly without not having some sort of base knowledge in commercial real estate in general. Um, but, um, you know, one of the quickest ways that I built that rapport was just buying a smaller deal. I think a lot of people want to come in and say, oh, I'm only looking at 100 units or more in this market. It's got to be C class or, you know, it's got to have this value at this and this and this. And yes, you don't want to just come in and buy any type of property. That's not what I'm saying here. But don't necessarily rule out a smaller property that may be slightly outside of your criteria, but having a long-term vision that once you do, you're going to have instant credibility and open up the floodgates as far as deal flow for that specific broker. And that's exactly what I've done. You know, uh, for me, it started um, with, uh, I mean, my first multifamily purchase outside of the market that I'm in was a, was a 14 unit, but my, um, first more or less larger multifamily where we raised capital was a uh, 56 unit. And so it wasn't necessarily what I was looking for. You know, I came in, I was like, Hey, I've got, you know, I had a little bit of cash saved up. I did the math. I could uh, go out and between me and raising a little bit of money from a couple partners in my own capital could have bought a hundred unit property. But um, at that time it just wasn't available but this 56 unit was, and it was a pocket listing. Nobody else had seen it yet. It was literally fresh off the printer. Uh, the offering memorandum was, and was just happened to be in the broker office and at the right place at the right time, because I was in territory being visible. Um, and, you know, essentially just went after that. And now we've, you know, that specific prop property is going to go full cycle and we're going to get a really hefty return. Um, all part of it too. So, you know, it's not break the bank type money by any means, but it really set me up for the long term of building my credibility and track record specifically with that broker. Excellent. Let me ask you what markets that you own currently in. So I am in primarily the Southeast part of the U S so that's Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi. And I have this one off 14 unit in Tulsa. Um, I was, uh, I was actually born in Tulsa. I have a lot of family there. So that's kind of like, I was, I was familiar with the market and everything, mm. but, um, just through the way that, uh, the business has gone. I've decided to just kind of narrow in my focus into the Southeast. Uh, okay. Forward. Yeah. It sounds like the Tulsa property you purchased on your own and then the 56 unit was your first syndication. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. On the 56 yeah. unit. So on my very first syndication, I learned more than I've learned on almost any other single deal. Like that first one always seems to have the most learning experiences for us, the things that really stick with us, the challenges and anything that goes right as well, but certainly the challenges stick out. Um, would you share with the listener who is about to buy their very first syndication, the things that you learned in the first few months of owning that 56 unit? Oh yeah. For me, it was just go in with eyes wide open and ex I mean, almost kind of expect the worst. I mean, we had to, uh, 
as soon as we took over that property, we quickly discovered that a lot of the tenants were just non-paying residents. We had to go through evictions um, and to the point where, you know, 56 units. So it doesn't take much to do this, but we took it down to 50% occupancy. Um, and so when that type of event happens, just be very, very open with your investors um, because clearly your business strategy is going to completely change, um, you know, to the point where you're, you're probably not going to make distributions right away like we were thinking, which is what, you know, we communicated out. Um, thankfully, we did. We communicated it right away, but it was a complete surprise. You know, the, the property that I had bought before on my own is more or less, you know, it's cash flowing asset. Some of the residents have been there for 10 to 20 years even. This is a completely different situation. So, um, you know, just going in and having the the mentality that, you know, you're open to see anything. And, and even since then we've had, you know, one of the, the residents passed away from just natural causes, but um, he wasn't discovered for a few days after. And so the amount of cleanup um, that your body, you know, we won't get into all that, but your body, you know, has all these things inside of it that go somewhere. Eventually they don't stay in your body forever after you pass. So, um, massive, massive cleanup. So you really have to have thick skin, uh, to go in there. And, uh, you know, cause frankly, I think what I see a lot is, you know, people who are, um, more or less just kind of partnering to get the experience, which I firmly believe in, um, they don't see a lot of this in the day to day. And, you know, when adversity hits, it's like, okay, this, all this pressure just kind of caves in and, and, you know, freezing up the, the individual, you can't do that. Just embrace it. You know, the, the military has a saying, embrace the suck, just embrace it and just make sure that you're communicating out to your investors exactly what's going on, even if it's bad news. So that's the biggest thing I think I learned in that deal. All super, super valuable. I like the part about eyes wide open. Um, I've definitely had a couple of properties, not syndications, but I've had a couple of properties that really taught me a lot about due diligence and what to look for and what to look for in leases and um, how to audit leases and what's important about that. And I do things a lot differently because of them. Based on this challenge with the 56 unit, I know that it taught you to just go in with eyes wide open, but specifically on the tenant evictions that you had to go through, which brought the property down to 50% occupied for a short time. And by the way, kudos to you and your partners for being so um, communicative with your passive investors. I think that's really important, but as far as the, um, the lesson that you learned on tenant evictions, what would be the one thing that you did on the very next deal to make sure that you didn't have to go through that again? Well, we really took a closer look at uh, collections, you know, the operating accounts. Um, and we tried to do that anyways on the, in the due diligence period to begin with. The problem was this particular seller had, um, did not have a separate bank account. So it was literally like going through his personal bank account, trying to pull out all these rent payments. It was a nightmare. So, um, you know, I mean, sometimes, I mean, and frankly, that deal, you know, the other part of that story is 
uh, real quick is, is we brought that back up. It, it, as of even yesterday, it's at a hundred percent occupancy and we're hitting our, um, our third year target rents after, you know, two years of that. So we're exceeding expectations there. Um, but you know, it, that's also somewhat of an influx of the market that we're in today, I think. So, you know, if, if, if we're caught in the middle of a downturn and that happens, you're, you're going to be hosed. So you've really got to take the due diligence to do that. But um, going back to the, the bank account thing, that's something that we definitely now, luckily on the next deal too, it was more sophisticated seller, still mom and pop type seller, but they at least had a separate bank account for the property. So I was able to kind of pick that out and just match that up with, um, monthly collections as well. So, so looking at what's being deposited in the account and matching that with uh, collections on the actual financial statement. Do you have a website that gives you credibility and captures leads? ApartmentInvestorPro.com can help you get a professional website today. Can you build your investor list without a website? Sure, just like you can cut down a tree with a pocket knife, but why would you when you could use a chainsaw? Typically, building a professional website can be a real pain, taking thousands of dollars and months of your time. One syndicator said it took him 10 months on his own. Another had to go to three different companies before getting something usable. ApartmentInvestorPro.com makes it quick and painless. All the designs and content is already created. With 15 years of experience, Building websites for investors, ApartmentInvestorPro.com gives you peace of mind and lets you focus your time on finding deals and investors. These powerful websites capture contact information from your potential investors. You can even automate the follow-up process. No more letting good investor leads fall through the cracks. Save 10% on your website by going to ApartmentInvestorPro.com and using promo code CREATIVE. That link is in today's show notes. One of the big things that I'm taking away from today's conversation as we move back into really focusing on the acquisitions part of, of today, really sourcing these larger apartment communities, um, I, want to, I want the listener to really focus on this one uh, sentence that you brought out a little bit earlier when you were talking about the way that you stand out from among all of these other people that are also looking for deals. And I want to go there because, you know, most of the educational um, platforms that are teaching people how to get into multifamily, what I see with them is that 90% of the time, they're teaching their students how to do broker calls. Like th this is how you call a broker and, and, get, and ask for a deal. And right now, the multifamily space probably has more interested buyers than we've had in this asset class for who knows how many years. So what I'm seeing is that there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise because, you know, one person has 100,000 students, the other person has 100,000 students, and they're all taught that they need to call brokers, and they're all taught that they need to call brokers in certain areas, and they're all taught it the exact same way, but what you've really done differently, and, and I, think it's, I think it's amazing, honestly, and people don't always think of it, but when I notice that somebody's actually getting deals they're doing this. It's just that most people don't do it, but the people that are successful are. 
And so I want to get to the point, which is you are making a trip out to all of these areas. And I love the the quote that you say right before you um, come into the area. You said, I'm very interested in the market and I would love to meet with you. I think that goes a long way, uh, whether you're brand new, like how you were doing it three years ago when you were calling brokers, or whether you've been involved in real estate for some time. I think that getting out to the market makes a lot of sense. And all of these broker scripts that people are learning right now could just go right out the window and we could take your broker script. I'm very interested in the market. I'd love to meet with you. I'll be there on Tuesday. Do you have some time? Um, I love it. So let me ask you, when you get out there, do you meet with one broker? Do you meet with two brokers? Do you try to, are you trying to spend three days? Um, Yeah. What does it look like when you're getting out there? Yeah. Um, So obviously now it's kind of a change from when I first started going out there. But when I first started going out there, I would typically uh, spend the night and just so I would still take an early flight in the morning and then take a late flight kind of like the next day so I can have almost essentially two full days. Um, But yes, I mean, the goal is to meet with as many brokers as I possibly can. Um, If there happen to be properties that are being marketed, uh, regardless if I'm interested in them or not, I will go and just kind of drive by and drive through the parking lot just to check them out. Um, And just to really start to become more familiar, familiar with the market specifically so that, you know, you can have a conversation. You can say, Hey, you know, when you do meet with a broker who has that deal potentially listed and you drove by it, now you can talk intelligently to it. Hey, I noticed this with the property. Looks like there's a lot of deferred maintenance in the property. You know, can you tell me what kind of analysis you guys have done on uh, how much CapEx needs to be budgeted for this property? Because you just might uncover something else that nobody is really looking at too. Um, but it just, it helps you with you sounding like you're not just a newbie, even if you are, um, and you know, you're taking interest in, in something that they do have, um, in hopes to eventually get something, um, that's fed to you. That's that nobody else has really taken a look at, or, or maybe a few buyers are, are, uh, in a position to have access to something like that. So yes, I'm trying to meet with as many brokers as I can in that market. Um, and even if it's just a 15 minute meeting, I mean, you know, what you were saying there with the script, I kind of take it uh, a step further and I just, I, I try to just not overcomplicate it, the process in general. So just keep everything simple is kind of what it comes down to for me. Because if you sound like a robot, they will definitely not meet with you. They, they won't. You know, if, the, if you sound like somebody, if you have a script, uh, scripted email, you know, here's my criteria. Here's my, I'm looking for a hundred units, B and C class property. Like, you know, that's, that doesn't sound natural. And, you know, especially if you're trying to meet with them the first time, just be, a, just be personable. And um, just all you're trying to do is meet with them and, and, you know, say, you know, 10 to 15 minutes of your time. Everybody has 10 to 15 minutes, mostly. Now, you know, maybe they're not there. Maybe they're traveling to another market that day. So the schedules don't line up, but at some point they will have 15 to 20 minutes to take a coffee with you. And at that point it, 
you just, you capitalize on that. You continue to follow up, even if they don't have anything, you just continue to learn more about them, learn more about their deals as well, because then, you know, getting back to the business side of it, you might have different points of contact, especially in a large brokerage firm. You have different um, people who focus on different types of assets. So you yeah. might have the most senior broker who's focused on, you know, the 300 unit plus properties or a class only properties or something like that. Whereas like the interns and the folks fresh out of school, they're kind of focused on the, the 12 to 50 unit properties and so on and so forth. So, um, and it's just like, you know, just having a conversation when you get them um, in the coffee, Hey, tell me where are you focused? Like, how are you, I mean, I even ask because I'm in sales, I always like to know how people are compensated. So how do you get paid? You know, is it a, is it, a lot of these brokerage firms are actually on kind of a, a shared plan. So they're not necessarily tied to the specific property that they're marketing, but it's just good to know that. And, you know, I've even had a couple of times when I asked that question, I was like, nobody's ever asked me that. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm just interested because obviously um, I would say even, you know, aside from being motivated by family and, and all that other stuff, of course, we are all motivated by money. And if, you know, there's a scenario where we can learn how somebody's compensated. Yeah. I mean, you know, just using that to your advantage uh, at some point. So, um, you know, you're just really fact finding, like, just as like you would, like I said earlier, just like you would starting a new relationship with your next door neighbor who just moved in from out of state. Tell me about yourself, you know, and let that conversation just happen naturally. We we're all capable of that. So it's just don't overcomplicate it. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. I think that is, there couldn't be wiser words. I love that you're talking about if, 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 you sound like you have a script. The broker probably won't even listen to you at all. Yeah. Some of the other things that I've really pulled out from this interview, and I'm grateful to have you on the show, Kyle, as we wrap it up, I'm going to mention just a couple other things that I really liked about what you said. One of them was that you went ahead and bought a little bit of a smaller deal to really um, prove the concept. I'm very grateful that that deal is working out so well for you. But as we look at some of the some of the people out there, some are focused on getting a smaller deal because it's the only one that they feel comfortable with. Some are focused on getting a big deal because it's the only one that they feel like makes uh, sense. And as as you mentioned earlier, that original fifty six unit that you syndicated, you were able to start really showing that broker that you um, that you can close, that you're serious, that you have property already in that area, you already have your management company, which is a question a lot of brokers seem to ask is who's, who's going to manage the asset. They don't, because if you don't have a property manager like right. ready to go, a lot of brokers don't even want to tie up the property having you put in an LOI or anything. They're like, well, Tell me who you're going to use first as a broker, as your, as your property management, because if you don't have someone in place, there's no reason for me to show you, right? Or they might ask you, you know, where's your equity coming from? So you want to have that lined up. I always recommend something that 
Joe Fairless said on, on our podcast when I asked him what is his best advice ever, um, since he always asks that question on his show, and he said, if you control the money, you control the deal. And so like with my clients the, that I coach and I'm working with, and I'm trying to help them attract the capital, get the capital ready, because once you finally tell the broker um, that you want to buy a property, they will ask you, you know, who, who's managing the property? Where's the equity coming from? Is it already lined up? Are you syndicating? Is it in the bank? Uh, how how well? How much? How confident are you that that you can raise this equity? Because I don't want to tie it up, right? So lots lots of really good stuff. I also like the feedback that you mentioned when you fly out to these areas. How you fly in as early in the morning as you can be there practically the whole day, go to bed, and then you fly out later that evening. So it's almost essentially like you've you've spent one night there, but but you really were only having to be away from the house for just less than two days. But most of it was spent there. That's awesome, awesome advice. And you mentioned like if there happen to be properties in the area that are on the market, you might just drive by them anyway. You might just drive by that property regardless if you're even interested in it. And the reasoning behind it was brilliant. And I think that the listener can really walk away from that understanding what they're going to be doing when they start flying out to these places. Because as you said, when you walk up and you pass a property and notice things about it, like deferred maintenance or you know how many cars or whatever is in the parking lot, and then you mention that to the broker, it just boosts up your credibility and they feel like you know the area. They feel like you're serious. So a lot, a lot of good information. I really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But before that, um, will you please let the listener know the best way that they can find you or get a hold of you? What's the single best way for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So first, thanks, Adam. Really uh, just had a great time talking to you. So um, my website is truepointcap.com, um, truepointcap.com spelled the normal way. My email, uh, I, I'm pretty good about staying on top of my emails. That's an easy way to get a hold of me. Kjones at truepointcap.com. Kjones um, at truepointcap.com. Any yeah. parting advice before I let you go, brother? No, man. I think that the biggest thing that is unrelated to multifamily with as far as just staying motivated and everything else is take care of your body, take care of your health. You know, that's for me been a big component of just having the fuel and the energy every day to wake up and do this and handle essentially three ways to make money, three kids, you know, be a good husband, take care of your health. You want to be there to enjoy the cash flow when it starts paying off. So take care of the food that you're eating and get enough sleep. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'll let you go right now, Kyle. But until next time, think outside the box. Thanks for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. If you got value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Until next time, think outside the box.